0: Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra.
1: And this week, a special edition of Gun For Hire Radio, episode 663. One of our members of the range here approached me about doing a special show post-October 7th, and the second he approached me about it, I thought it would be a great idea since the world is on fire and we're all doing our part to try to make things better in this world. So I'd like to introduce him since it was his idea, and he's going to take over the mic from there and introduce everybody else because he has a a fancier outline than me, and he's a doctor. I can't read his handwriting, so I can't even copy (laughs) off of him. So without further ado, Further
2: ado, Dr. Jonathan Lewin, please. Doc, welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Anthony, and the entire Gun For Hire organization. Um, we thought it would be a good idea to have this type of live and uncut uh, podcast. There are some very quality podcasts and Jewish podcasts available, but we uh, felt that there was room for the following. For an in-person setting where everybody would be able to express their views and not in the form of sound bites. Um, I do not like to editorialize and I do like not to filibuster but since this is the first one of our podcast no. I do need a few moments to, and a little bit of latitude and then we'll get Please. right to business. And here we are um, um, why a podcast, as we said, we feel there's room for it, um, and also the kids challenged me to do it, and I think this is the last time they're going to challenge me on something like <laughs> this. Um, uh, we're going tr- to try and run this podcast um, with uh, three principles in mind. One is that of Nachmanides, in which um, he stated in his his famous letter uh, Sh- <clears throat> that a person should... <speaking in Spanish> A person should at all times, under all circumstances, speak softly. And in that way, a person avoids anger. Once he's already avoiding anger, the level of debate becomes more intelligent. Second principle is that of the behavior of Rav, El- of Rav El- LePian. Of the Musr movement, who never ever would interrupt another human being. Not only that, he would, when a person would stop speaking, he would say, Are you done speaking? We won't go that far, but we will give everybody the chance to speak without being cut off or overpowered. Uh, and let, as my father used to say, let the real estate sell itself. And then the last principle is that uh, despite those two uh, important matters, there is a Gemara, a Talmudic dictum in Sanhedrin 29a. Kol Hamoesif Gorea. Whoever adds ends up subtracting. So if you can't make your point in three, four, five minutes, you can't make it in an hour. And therefore, what we have here to help out is a large surgical instrument. I am a spine surgeon, and the way we'll utilize it is as follows: If we think you're going too long, we're going to wave it. If we think you're going even longer than that, we'll tap you. And if you're longer than that, we begin a surgical procedure of my choice. Okay. okay? So that's how we're going to do it. Again, we begin in in Jewish tradition with Hakara sato, which means thanks to the host, and we will begin uh, with that uh, thanking Anthony Calandro. Mr. Calandro, as many of you know, is the uh, owner and CEO, founder of Gun For Hire, but more so, he is an NRA board member. He is a longtime advocate for a liberal and broad application of the Second Amendment. He is a master marksman, one of of sixty in the country, and we thank you very, very much. I want to just add another thing, and that is when I approached him about this podcast, and I said, Anthony, is there any body or any person or any topic by extension that you're unwilling to discuss? He emailed me back three words: "Bring it on," and that's what we're going to do. And we won't take it easy on him, or we won't take it easy on Rich, but we're going to be fair and inclusive to everyone. Let's begin then with the following. I'm going to make three statements uh, of which I'd like you to digest, weave them together as best you like, and then respond. The first is the Bible itself. As per the podcast, we're going to talk about guns, guns and Jews, and October 7th and beyond. So I think uh, we, are, we are necessitating then a rendition of the Second Amendment, which was ratified in 1791. It's only 27 words. I'm pretty sure Anthony knows it almost as well as Rabbi Tahan knows the Shema. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That is statement number one. I'd like you to weigh that. With data from the CDC and the Pew Research, where there are over 40,000 gun deaths per year. Firearm deaths is the leading cause of death in the United States among children. We have a 10.4 to 100,000 death rate from guns, which is the highest in the civilized industrialized nation, seven, uh, many, many times that of France, Switzerland, 77 times Germany, 33 times Australia. The statistics, we can go on and on about gun deaths and rates in the United States. And some of them can be disputed, but the fact is we are the leader in terms of those unfortunate statistics. And the last thing I'd like you to weave into your present, into your thoughts are a statement from Nicole Hoakley, who lost a child in the Sandy Hook school massacre. What it feels like to lose your child in a mass shooting. And she said, I remember looking at his hand, holding his hand, seemed a little torn cuticle. It's bizarre holding a hand, because I'd expected some sort of warm softness. Indeed, the lively, gorgeous boy that I'd known was now this cold stone-like figure. It was very hard to comprehend. Even in the moment that he was dead, because I couldn't make the connection between the corpse and my son. Mr. Calandra, I'd like you to open your mind, but I'd like you also to open your heart and tell us your feelings about guns, gun control, and the state of affairs. You know, all of
1: our hearts go out, obviously, when a tragedy happens, but the, the ultimate reality is that evil exists. And if if you didn't have the firearm, evil would find another way, whether it was gasoline or whether it was a car or whether it was an explosive, strangulation or whatever. And, you know, leading in gun deaths, a lot of those deaths are suicides, by the way. A lot of it is gang-on-gang gang, uh as well. If you take those numbers out from most of the big cities, the numbers, the dynamic changes dramatically. But it's our it's our responsibility to safely handle firearms and store them. And that's why I built my business on safety and education and training. And we're always vilified. It's the, the people that are doing the right thing that, that are always vilified for it. Because I don't care how many laws you have, you're not going to legislate evil out of existence. Evil will always exist. So we have to come to that reality rather than each side digging their heels in. Total ban on guns, you're not taking my guns. We need forums like this because there's a way to meet in the middle. We should be addressing mental health. We should be addressing the catch and release criminal justice system that we have in this country. We should be addressing safe storage laws where when a parent leaves a gun accessible to a child, they should go to jail for 50 years if a child gets access to that gun. No quarter, 50 years in prison. Instead, we're too lenient with that. We need to send that message. So, yes, I am for controlling it in ways like that. I'm not in ways of controlling my God-given right to protect myself and my family because the government is not going to protect me, as you can see what happened in Israel on October 7th.
2: Mr. McMahon.
0: <clears throat> uh, between the two of you, you took up pretty much everything I was going to say. Well, let me just introduce myself. I'm Rich McMahon. I am a former uh, counselor and deputy mayor of Montclair. I am not in any way, shape, or form, any gun control advocate or anything else. I'm just an individual. I'm a father of three children, grandfather of six. God bless. Uh, I I grew up, I was born in 52. I grew up uh, during the, um, we had nuclear bomb uh, tests, and we would have to go down in the basement and cover our heads and everything. Then, whenever dropped a nuclear bomb, my children, my grandchildren, have uh, shooting drills, and yes. there are so many sh- mass shootings of schools. Currently, it's 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 insane, uh, and every time they happen, I, f- I thought, as you mentioned, Newtown, when that happened, I thought that was you know now now they'll do something, and they did. Um, I think it's time we have to have some logical c- gun controls, more than we have uh, currently. I don't want to take away anyone's gun. If you want to have a hunting rifle, fine. You know, shoot all the ones you want. I don't want to do that. I was a Boy Scout. I was uh, an NRA member. I had medals, you know, shooting twenty twos and BBs. I was proud of them. Back then, though, I thought the NRA was. Um, Yeah, all about marksmanship and safety. And I was was out of Boy Scouts by the time I was, I don't know, 14 or so, and that was still in the 60s. In the 70s, I noticed the NRA uh, started becoming, uh, it was also nonpartisan. It became very partisan and more about lobbying for against gun uh, rules and for uh, marketing of various guns, Uh, which kind of remind me of um, growing up same time my father when uh, they were putting seatbelts in the cars. He was adamant. I'm never gonna wear this He was a lawyer for for a Ford dealership and he wanted them them to take the seatbelts out. Uh, 2010, my daughter rolled my Range Rover and she was wearing a seatbelt. She got cut up, but she didn't die. Three times, she would have been dead. I'm so happy we had that seatbelt. I would have loved to have seen uh, better regulations that would, would prevent some of these. Yeah, I know you're absolutely not going to prevent all of them, but you can cut them back a lot. And, and, and New Jersey is proof of it. Uh, we are like the third tightest gun control state. Correct. And we uh, ha- have the one of the lowest gun issues and and the, and the and the issues that we do have, the guns generally come from out of state, where there are s- softer rules. I think we need need and I, again, New Jersey is the most densely populated state. You know, our rules don't have to be the same as Wyoming. You know, you live 50 miles from the nearest police station. Yeah, that's that's a whole different ball game. But here we are in New Jersey. I think we need some. Uh, to, to keep what we have and, and and do a little bit more and training I think is a big I I bless you, uh, by the way I'm Irish Catholic everyone else here? Catholic half <laughs> <laughs> Irish F-Catholic. there you go um, uh, I lost
2: my track uh, training anyway I'll, I'll I'll leave it at that. Um, I, uh, please, I'm remiss, uh, please, I apologize that I did not mention Mr. McMahon's extensive resume, his 40 years experience as a lawyer. He was Township of Montclair, Councilor Arch, Deputy Mayor, uh, and an extensive resume, which goes on and on and on. So again, we very much appreciate that you're here. Uh, Now that you had that warm up, we're going to go a different direction. We're going from the exact opposite direction, and I'd like you here to respond uh, to that. This quote comes from uh, someone who knows a couple things about guns. It's Sammy the Bull Gravano. He was the underboss uh, crime family head of the Gambino family. He self-admits to the killing of 19 people in the course of his uh, activities on behalf of the Gambino family. Uh, He was responsible uh, for federal prosecution of John Gotti. And this is his take on gun control. I'd like you to respond to it, and then I'll give Mr. Calandro a chance. Gun control, it's the best thing you can do for crooks and gangsters. I want you to have nothing. If I'm a bad guy, I'm always going to have a gun. Safety locks, you pull the trigger with a lock on, and I'll put the trigger. We'll see who wins. Sammy the Bull Gravano, but more. That statement has been publicized in the media, but his follow-up to that I think is even perhaps more to the point. Do gun control. Take away guns from all the good people. I'm always going to have a gun. A girl's home with her kids. There's a guy who wants to come in. He's always questioning whether behind the door... She's got a gun and blows his head off. There's a problem, and the problem is at home. We all know our kids. Nobody is ever calling the cops on their own kids. They feel like they're giving their kids up. Then he goes to school. There's so many laws and rules that the teachers are bound. I send Jimmy to psych, I'll get fired. And then you look back and everybody says, yeah, I knew that kid when he shot everybody. I knew something was off. It's the environment. Even in my own case, if I, wouldn't have been, if I would have been known to be dyslexic, who knows what I would have been. I could have turned out to be a doctor or a lawyer. The kids are bent. It's not the gun. If you took all the guns away and one of these kids decides to cut loose with a bomb and a club, now you got 60 people dead. Are you happy? No gun. Mr. McMahon.
0: Well, I wouldn't take Samuel the Bull as, <laughs> as the ideal person to, to draw from. Uh, he uh,
2: was good enough for the federal government
0: well yeah yeah in jail uh but um you know the uh, guns uh number one killer of children number one uh it, it, it's the this, this the uh the, the 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 bad guys will always have the guns well actually that's not true uh and and Jamie the Bull is not coming to your house the the the, uh, pardon me. A second, <clears throat> the um, the. I don't think I I don't I don't think listening to Samuel Bull is, is is a reasonable uh, approach to this. Uh, look at look at the statistics again. As I said earlier, that uh, New Jersey has among the tighter gun control laws. Uh, and they have uh, the least pro- one of the least problems in the United States with guns. I think uh, guns n- need to be uh, kept safely locked up. You don't want your children getting the guns, and children are not getting to- into bombs. You know that's what Sammy said. That that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, and-
2: and so I'll leave it at that. Before Mr. colander before you respond, I-, I would like to just interject. Um, That, um, although guns are now, as you said, potentially used for some degree of mass destruction in the schools, one of the largest uh, slaughters in this country was actually in 1927, uh, conducted by Andrew Kehoe Phillip in the Beth Township School District, where he placed a bomb, which killed 44 people. And his last stenciled communication was, criminals are made, not born. Mr. Calandra. If
0: If I may just jump in right there. Okay. Um there's 600 mass shootings last year alone. It was a rarity when that happened. You know, as it's, it's it's a
1: regular thing so now. It's great you say that because so what's changed because guns have been around all this time, maybe something with mental health, maybe with pharmacological drugs, Doc, right? Maybe we're over-prescribing. Maybe kids are uh, inundated with video and television and movies and violence. They've been desensitized, uh, over-prescribing stuff. You had also talked about... uh, It's the number one killer of children. Those numbers are skewed because it includes teenagers in there all the way up to to 19 19 years old. And it's a lot of gang on gang. If you were to take the Chicago killings and the Camden killings out of that gang on gang, then children – it's not the number one, even though one is too many.
0: And and among the the, the six-year-olds and lower, 100 percent. Correct. But we had, a, we had a father in
1: Tom's River, left his twenty-two rifle under the bed. His son took it and shot the next-door neighbor in the eye, 6-year-old girl, and killed her. And the father got a plea bargain, and he uh, got out with uh, yeah. time served. He should have spent 100 years in prison for that happening. Need to send a message for something like that. I wouldn't argue that point. Okay. The tool is out.
2: Is that? No, <laughs> I, we, we're doing great. We're okay. having a great time. Everybody's relaxed. I knew that would be intense. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're going to go to the rabbis, but let's – before we go to the rabbis, before we go clip um, – We're going to uh, hear a clip uh, which will um, kind of set the stage uh, because, as some of you know, I have a significant interest in comedy, and comedy mimics the reality of the times. So uh, why editorialize? Go clip.
0: A lot of people think this reflects the fact that somehow Jews are pushy or demanding. It happens to be an out-and-out lie. Jews are not either pushy or demanding. They're trying to get their money's worth. They're paying for it, and there's nothing wrong with it. Let's be honest. The Gentile is just as particular about the things he knows about what do you think, a gentile just buys any gun?
3: <laughs> Guns are his field, he knows he wants a magnum 2, magnum 4, 37, 49, You a gun to a Jew. Who a gun, take a look. Guns are not for Jews, let's be honest about it. You ever see a Jew join
2: a rifle association? Never, unless there's coffee and cake. <laughs> Okay, with that introduction, as we said, comedy does mimic the reality of the times, and, and we still got a good laugh out of that. But the truth of the matter is he would never make it nowadays with that routine, right? The world is a changed place. Mm-hmm. The world is under tension, with Jews being post-Holocaust, and he was certainly, that was 1988, we were post-Holocaust. But now we're in an era where Israel and Jews have become, to a degree, a super superpower, a military power. And um, whether you regardless of your stance on Israel, that's undeniable. And yet, um, we as a Jewish people are somewhat befuddled. We don't really know what the approach towards guns should be. David Lichtenstein ran a, a previous uh, a podcast uh, uh, which was quite uh, quite erudite in October and he made a comment uh, the first time he st- shot a gun he thought Ace of the Evil would pop out of it. In other words, where do we stand in regards to our relationship? And I'd like the rabbis first to begin in the perspective of guns, and then later we'll talk about the law of guns. But the perspective, are we somewhere in between the riots in Kishinev, in which 49 Jews were murdered in the Ukraine, and somewhere in between Mayor Kahana for every Jew at 22? Help us understand what a healthy perspective is for Jews particularly in the exile. I'd like to first introduce Rabbi Tahan, who is the Rosh Kolo, the head of a higher l- learning institute in Brooklyn, Arzeh Lebanon, the, uh, the, the cedar trees of Lebanon. He's extensive, uh, pot, uh, extensive uh, work on the Internet and spreading the word of Torah and Judaism in a great light to the world at large. Thank you, Rabbi Tahan, for being here.
4: Thank you very much, and thank you for hosting. Um, I think there's, uh, as, as a Jew... Come in to introduce our uh, aspect on this there 's a different level of us Jews uh, when it comes to guns. Up to now, we spoke over here about guns, generally with the risks of uh, how how the American teen- teenagers are dealing or not dealing with it correctly, but for us Jews. It's much more about self-protection than all those discussions that were spoken up to now. In other words, when you catch a Jew in a synagogue, and you tell him, "Do you need a Jew? Do you need a Do you need a gun? What for?" He'll tell you, "It became dangerous. America became dangerous." Not. Not necessarily for the points that you said because it's shootings and guns, because most of our boys are in yeshiva, and you'll see a difference. In yeshiva, you don't even have a guard in yeshiva. As in, in, in public school, you have over there policemen, at least in New York where I come from. There's policemen inside the school, outside the schools. There's a bunch of them. In yeshivas, there's no such thing. Just now, after October 7th, they put a guard, not from the boys inside. So we don't... The, the problem with shooting at schools and other places is less than what we fear and that is all types of different terrorism and that is the aspect of what i like to speak about because i think that is um the burning issue right now this is the this is the elephant in the room i think and um uh when we're talking about the torah aspect as as a rabbi i only want to represent what the torah says uh, not my my own uh, uh perspective on this i'm here to speak about what the torah would uh, would say and we see in various places in the Torah that a, a person needs to have all the means of self, uh, uh, th- th- that you be able to defend yourself, self-defense in any possible way. And if, we, if you just look about the, the Torah portion that we just read a couple of weeks ago, uh, it, it starts, the Torah speaks about Jews coming out of time, coming out of Egypt, and the Egyptians will soon, after three days, Go and chase them to attack them. And it says over there, interesting uh, verse, it says Israel, the Jews, these the Israelites, came out of Egypt armed. Very interesting. Why does the Torah need to say that they came out armed out of Egypt? They're not going to kill right now anybody, they're not Jews in nature, they're not they're not they're not there to kill anybody, to hurt anybody. That's that's just the way we are. It's always self-defense. If you see, it's, I, I, I said it's interesting. I said that uh, the Tzal, the JDL, it's Jewish Defense uh, League, the Israeli Defense League. Uh, defense. Uh, in other words, it's all about defense. It's never about attacking. And this is what uh, those arms were there for. Jews came out with arms in order to be able to defend themselves. Who to defend themselves from. So this in the commentaries over there. It says few ideas. The um, Nachmanides says that they came out armed. Interestingly, he says in order to give them a feeling that they didn't come out as slaves, but rather they came up with their arms. Uh, right, up upright, which means you have to feel good about yourself. So we get a certain perspective that having a gun, being armed, is not only about defending yourself, but it gives you a feeling of reassurance and gives you a good feeling as well. And I know myself when I'm, when, when I'm in, I live in New York, as I said, and I, I, I see that as long as you don't have any ways to defend yourself, you feel low. You feel low than others that are chanting and rioting around the Brooklyn and Manhattan Bridge, and therefore, you need to have a certain, a certain sense that you are being uh, able to protect yourself, just like it is in Israel. You're able to defend yourself now, unlike it was before Israel was existing, and you, it makes people feel really proud about themselves. So that's one aspect that the Nechmanites the tells us on that very verse. Secondly, it's about deterrence. If you know that's something that wasn't spoken up to now, but rather there's something called deterrence. If somebody knows that Jews are armed, Jews are armed because we are under threat, and majority of Jews will be armed. So you think twice and three times and four times, if somebody told me that usually a, a uh, a person that wants to commit an attack, he'll go to a place that he knows they're more vulnerable. If he thinks they're armed, he's going to skip that and go to the next place. So you, you have another aspect of being armed in order for deterrence. So there's A, we spoke about the fact that it makes you feel better. It just makes you feel better, more protected. I remember... I used to, in, in, in my house, uh, lock the door, and I always uh, always felt unsafe. Uh, you lock the door, but it's so easy. If a person wants to break in, you just break in. I don't know, in, in New Jersey, you have much more room, but in New York, everybody lives on top of each other. So if somebody wants to walk get in, it's just so easy to get in. There's all different techniques. So I, I put all the, all the different types of things around my door, a certain piece of wood, that now if somebody wants to break in, it's work. It's not, it's not, it's not going to go through that work for no reason unless there's really something to get in there, and there's some kind of uh, So he's not. He's just not going to do it and if he does, I'll hear it while I'm sleeping so it gives me a better feeling it gives you a better feeling when you are armed it gives you uh, uh, it, it, it causes deterrence towards others, and in case if it does happen God forbid, that you need to use it so you have what to use, because we know that we know that guns actually save people they do save people if you don't have a gun and they come after you you have no way to uh, defend yourself it's all about defense and this is uh, there's so many sources in the torah and in the talmud i mean we can speak about this later in length if you're interested but i just threw out one and this is actually the view of the torah just mentioning about Rafkana zatal of mekon zatal he wasn't a radical in any way about being, he, he, he didn't even speak about guns. He had a mission, and that is that um, he, the, the Jewish countries for the Jewish people and everybody else should not be around there. It will be safer. That was his uh, point.
2: We will return to Rabbi Tan. Thank you so much. And we'll talk about more about the law as well. We'll get to that. But I'd like to give a chance now to Rabbi Schreier, who is the head of the congregation of Benishir, and one of the most active congregations in. New Jersey, Orthodox congregation, over 15 um, prayer services per day, minimally. Um, uh, Rabbi uh, Schreier, I'd like you to address uh, the hashkafic or the, the outlook perspective from where you want. I will just say something that I wanted to say before. On David Lichtenstein's podcast, he had a great sage, uh, Rav Necham Eisenstein, who um, and uh, he's not here to fortify or, or negate what I'm saying, but I do believe I'm, I'm speaking on balance about this great Talmud Chachem, the sense was uh, that it's a Bediyeved. In other words the fact that a Jew has to go this route is really a, a default position that at some level we as B'nai Torah and certainly people of the Torah and the, the students of Torah should as best possible not be involved in the carrying of arms um, and even so much so at least in Israel and perhaps in the United States if one feels that they're in danger, then perhaps, according to the Shulchan Aruch, he shouldn't go to shul. Stay home. Do we take that position? Are we, is, that, is that a hashkafic position that you would prescribe to, uh, that you would ascribe to? Or there's different ways to look at it, along, perhaps along the lines of Rabbi Tehan, who's saying you feel better, you act better, you're a deterrent, and, and, and think cycle from that. So, again, sorry for my soliloquy. Rabbi Schreier, please, uh, we'd love to hear from you.
3: Okay. Well, first, thanks for thanks for having me. For listeners, you should just know that I am not live in studio. I'm calling in, which means I'm at a safe distance from Jonathan's uh, surgical implements over there. So I'll still try to keep things short. If uh, if I'm going too long, Jonathan, you'll let me know, right?
2: We'll tap tap on you. you with me? Mm-hmm. Sounds good. You give me a tap.
3: Okay. And uh, I also want to echo what Rebecca Kahn said before. This is obviously a topic that deserves much longer treatment if you're going to try to do a full assessment of all the sources. Than just the, the three to five minutes that um, that we're, we're going to devote to it now, but I, I guess let me let me try to reframe you know the the framing that you yourself gave Jonathan a moment ago when you said that it's a vidyebed, which which means that it is not an ideal circumstance. I, I think Rabbi Tahan was alluding to that as well when he said that we only do so as a matter of self-defense. I, I think I think um, it is a defensive posture when we uh, when we talk about firearms. Um, but, but I think, you know, in, in an idyllic scenario, everybody would love to be in a world that was, that was loving and peaceful, um, in, which, in which there was no need at all. I mean, let me, let me put it this way. I'm going to offer you two sources, in classic Talmudic fashion, two sources that offer a counterpoint to one another. The first will kind of express the ethic that you were talking about a moment ago, Jonathan, um, in terms of trying to avoid... Owning firearms, and I'll offer a counterpoint which largely echoes the themes the Rabbi Tahan was talking about a moment ago. The first source is one I know that Yali Elkin is in the studio. This is a source that he and I have discussed together. It's a uh, classic responsa work, it's a classic tshuva from Ravicheska Landau, known in uh, Talmudic circles as the Nod Yehuda, a very important 18th century rabbinic leader. He was a rabbinic leader in Prague, who was asked a question about hunting. It's it's of Yehuda, Madurit, and Yana Chelik Beisim and Yod. And about the halakhic permissibility of hunting and he goes into a whole discourse considering lots of different halakhic issues um, that may or may not come up and at the end he says even though all of the narrow jewish legal considerations um wouldn't prohibit it he says that on a broader what you call jonathan Ashkafic level on a broader theological level he he was against he uh i can quote you the exact line he says umna maodani tama gufa davar similar to the line that you quoted from David Lichtenstein before, Jonathan, he said that that we're not the people of the sword, we're the people of the book, and when it comes to hunting, engaging in violent activities, that's, that's more characteristic of the enemies of the Jewish people rather than the Jewish people themselves. And you sense his deep hesitation about engaging in an activity. That that would perhaps encourage some kind of violent tendencies, even if there was no strict or narrow halakhic prohibition. Now, I want to be very clear. He's not talking about ownership of firearms. That was not the issue at the time. Um, he's talking about engaging in, in hunting, but but the broad ethos that he's describing is uh, is a peace-loving ethic in which in which we try to avoid any violent activities if if we can, of course. Um, and the Gemara talks about the Talmud discusses a prohibition of, of owning dangerous things. Uh, the Gemara says that if you have a dog, that's a dangerous dog. The Gemara above a comma says there's a prohibition of, of owning it. There is certainly a general ethos that, that all else being equal, we, we would try to be a peace-loving people, a people of books, study, of, of loving kindness, rather than engaging in any acts of violence, even something like just, just hunting, um, which is not violence towards other people. So I think that is one side of the equation. And I think it's a, an important one to, to bear in mind. Um, but I, I think there's another part of the equation, too, which brings me to my second source. And here I think the, the calculus has largely changed pre and post October 7th. But, but I know, Jonathan, you plan on getting back to that a little bit later. I, I won't touch on that so much now. But I, I think the second source that I want to quote from is, is a classic essay by Rav Yosef Dov Halevi called Koldo Vito Fake. Um, for those who who may not be familiar with Ursul thought. He is the the ideological leader of of many of the, certainly, our Orthodox congregation, many of the Orthodox congregations of TNF where we come from. And this essay has become a landmark essay in the literature of religious Zionism. Um, And he speaks about the importance of Jews having the capability to defend themselves. For for a broad um, schematic, I guess, of the essay, he outlines six signs from the divine, signs from above, that the state of Israel is a positive religious force in the course of Jewish history, what he called six knocks. For those who are familiar with the, the literature, he, was, he employed a metaphor of the divine knocking at the door, a metaphor that originally appears in, in Shira Shirim, in the, the Song of Songs by Shlomo HaMelech. And I'm not going to quote the entire passage here, but I'll quote from you select passages that I think really highlight how strongly Rav felt that in the post-Holocaust era, mind you, he's writing in the early 1950s, It is critical for Jews to have the capacity to defend themselves. He says, the fifth knock of the beloved is perhaps the most important. And what is that fifth knock? He writes, for the first time in the annals of our exile, divine providence has amazed our enemies with the astounding discovery that Jewish blood is not sheep. He elucidates the verse in the Bible that says, An eye for an eye, the lex talionis, which, according to Jewish law, is interpreted allegorically, metaphorically. If someone knocks out someone else's eye, you you pay damages for it. Um, But Soloveitchik writes, with respect to the Mufti and with respect to Nasser, I would demand that we interpret the verse in accordance with its literal meaning, the taking of an actual eye. He writes a little bit later, revenge is forbidden when it is pointless. But if one is aroused thereby to self-defense, it is the most elementary right of man take his revenge. Mind you, Ruf was not a militant person. He clearly felt this was a critical theological imperative. Again, I'll just read you two, two more passages. When God smote the Egyptians, he sought to demonstrate that there will always be accountability for the spilling of Jewish blood. At present, it is necessary not only to convince the dictator of Egypt, but the self-righteous Nehru, the foreign office in London, and the sanctimonious members of the United Nations that Jewish blood is not cheap. It's very easy to update this passage you know, 70 years forward to to remind the uh, International Court of Justice run by the UN and many other sanctimonious members of the international community that Jewish blood is not cheap. He writes, let us not forget that the poison of Hitlerite anti-Semitism, which made Jews fair game to all, still permeates this generation, which looked with equanimity upon the horrible scene of the suffocation of millions in gas chambers as a normal event that need not be challenged. In other words, so many viewed the, uh, the Holocaust as just part of history. That's what happens. The Jews are killed. And we see it now today, how many people have justified or, or remained silent in the aftermath of the October 7th brutality that we saw in Israel. And Rabbi Salvatric writes, the antidote for this venom that poisoned minds and dulled hearts is the readiness of the state of Israel to defend the lives of its citizens. Listen, my beloved Knox. So you see a counterpoint there where he felt that it's very important that Jews have the capacity to defend themselves. Um, and here, I think there's been a major shift post-October 7th. Anthony, before the show, you mentioned that since October 7th, there have been many more Jews coming for, uh, to, to train yes. with firearms. Yes. I've seen it myself. I've seen the number of members of my community. People who never would have thought about buying a firearm before October 7th are all of a sudden applying for licenses. There, there's a pervasive feeling of fear and a feeling that many people are unsafe. And I know that a lot of our debate before centered around the question of whether a gun-free society is a safer society. I would just point out that that even if we granted the premise that a gun-free society is a safer society, I'm not entirely sure that it's a safer society for Jews. For Jews. Um, and, and I think here, that's where what ha- what we saw on October 7th, and frankly what we saw after October 7th, the reaction of Many in this country, I'm getting tapped, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap off in a second, but, um, but many, what we saw from many in this country, I think, has, has shifted that equation a little bit. So I, I guess if I had to sum up, ordinarily speaking, yes, I think you see that peaceful um, intuition that really permeates much of Jewish theology in that first source, but the imperative of Jews to be able to defend themselves and not walking like sheep to the slaughter like we've seen through so much of our history is a critical theological imperative as well.
2: Let me press on that for a moment. Do you feel, uh will ask Rabbi Tahan and secondary to Rabbi Shreyer, do you feel that mm-hmm. some of the attitudes that we have developed over, uh, and, the, and that comedy which you heard from Jackie Mason, A Jew and a Gun, and it's such a, it's almost comical, and now it's become less comical. Do you think that is because of our long exile? And the fact is, we didn't have access to guns. We didn't have the ability to have guns. So as a result, we developed a certain aversion to guns. Our only, our, We know that our only true source of power is our God in heaven. But nonetheless, we did not have a medium for the acquisition of guns. And yet, the Talmudic sources... Um, I believe Rabbi Elezer even says that a, the, uh, a gun is, a, is an ornament for someone who's in the military. And there's Talmudic sources which suggest that Jews have certain laws when it comes to selling guns to Jewish bandits and, and those that are not Jewish. So, uh, my I guess the question is, are, are some of these attitudes and looking at guns are just as a result of development over our long exile? Well, I,
4: I think... That as long as uh, we were safe in America, unlike it was in uh, European countries, as long as we were safe in America, as you said before, owning a gun is only bedevied, which means it's, it's under default. So therefore, they teach what's the teaching in the yeshivas what's the teaching in jewish schools it's about teaching to be uh more soft spoken uh do do more kindness to others in other words it's 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 never about a gun is about um shooting and hurting another whether it's for self defense or not but the teaching what do we teach our kids when I come home do I speak about guns i don't what do I speak to them Did you help out your friend today um what what other Type of kindness did you do today? Did you pray well today? So uh, naturally, when you're not under that scenario, you 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 live a life of being more soft, more more easygoing, more kind to others. And and it, it what, what happened recently, and not necessarily after October 7th. It's already been a while. Is that there's a shift because we
2: realize that evil is here and it's 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 really bad. Um, thank you. Let's hear now from Yali Elkin, who, uh, Yali Superman Elkin, who is on the uh, c- community uh, security team for B'nai Yashurin, who is in his own right an outspoken advocate for the Second Amendment. What is your feeling on the uh, pulse on the ground uh, about the f- uh, Jewish people and their need for self-defense? And uh, where are we heading?
5: Uh, I'm sorry, so I've got five minutes or four minutes for that? Four. Um, first of all, thank you for uh, for inviting me to this August Forum, with um, uh, with uh, my esteemed uh, tablemates and uh, and uh, Rabbi Schreier uh, phoning in. Um, so just a, a couple of things I want to just kind of get off my chest here that I think could add to the to, to the conversation. I'm happy to get into into uh, uh, where we are, uh, truth on the ground right now. Um, if I could share just a couple of brief, brief quotes with you uh, as uh, as you started the uh, the podcast. Uh, this one is from Jeff Cooper. Um, who I'm a fan of, not just because he invented the 10-millimeter round, but because he, I think, had a, uh, a surprisingly uh, robust and nuanced uh, worldview as a uh, as a career soldier. He said, If violent crime is to be curbed, it is only the intended victim who can do it. The felon does not fear the police, and he fears neither judge nor jury. Therefore, what he must be taught to fear is his victim. And then just a, another brief one from uh, Tolkien who uh, wrote, I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. So I think that those two quotes coupled with some, I think, some. Critically important statistics, such as as John Locke dem, uh, John Lot demonstrated, that the overwhelming majority, well over ninety percent of mass shootings uh, since um, the uh, early 1950s, have taken place in gun free zones, which is which is a just a noxious liberal fantasy, which is probably responsible for 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 more deaths than uh, than anything else. Um, and also, just to correct something you, you said earlier, Jonathan, um, the biggest killer of children is people it's not guns guns don't have minds of their own guns don't have wills of their own i own many many guns and not one of them has ever killed anyone so i mean does that mean that they're defective like who do i go to get a refund on that um but anyway that, that's uh, just a couple things i wanted to just uh, get off my chest um in terms of where we are uh on the ground today so uh in our town we had in the four or five weeks Subsequent to October seventh, we had more firearms ID uh, applications than in all of 2022. So that means wow. in about a month, we had a year's worth of uh, FID card applications in Teaneck. Um and the uh, and the police are, are are they're swamped. They had to bring uh, uh, retired officers out of retirement just to, to to crunch through that backlog. It's getting better, but uh, people are nervous, as Rabbi Schreier mentioned. Um, People are talking about it, and people have gone from not talking about it to talking about it, from talking about it to actually doing it, and from doing it to signing up, taking taking classes, to, to filling out the applications. And we have, I, I, I'm uh, with a with a friend of mine uh, locally. Uh, we have uh, 120, 130, um, you know, local uh, local TNEC folks who uh, who are very serious about becoming gun owners, and um, and they're in the process.
2: Have you had any incidents in uh, your security? Um, workings to actually have to draw or utilize or has anyone you know in B'nai or in the Bergen County area. So thankfully,
5: no. And um, at, per uh, Rabbi Tahan's point earlier, um, I think that a big part of that is because we have a, uh, a, a very uh, palpable security apparatus around our synagogue, and that accomplishes um, two things. One, it's we, we, we take uh, we take our training and we take that that, that role very seriously. So we have a uh, a response which hopefully is not needed, but uh, but but is in place uh, in case it is, and uh, and we have deterrence. And that's, uh, th- those two work very well together, especially for a, uh, for a high-profile synagogue.
2: Thank you so much. Let's move now to October 7th as a topic. Um, we all know that October 7th was a sentinel event, perhaps in world history, but certainly in Jewish history. It represents the third deadliest attack, a uh, terror attack in sheer number. A nine eleven 11 fell th- uh, close to 3,000 people, the Tikrit uh, massacre of Iraqi cadets, 1,700, and then there is October 7th. 1,200 killed, several hundred abducted, many, many wounded. Um, but in regards, as President Biden had said, um, as a parallel to what the United States, it's one, 1. 1.2 per every 10,000. So it would have been as, as if 9-11 would have killed 50,000 people. Yes. Um, I just put it in context, as horrific as it was, Still, the Germans still have the gold, silver, and bronze mm. in regards to mass slaughtering of Jews. Um, with uh, Bobby Yar, thirty-seven thousand in nineteen forty-one over two days. Uh, Kamenets Podols, twenty-four thousand. So, um, but I want to ask Anthony, um, looking at it from someone who understands guns and military, what are your thoughts about what happened as a military failure, a tactical failure? What, what's your sense?
1: You know, looking at it from 30,000 feet, it's almost like maybe Israel uh, got soft a little bit or maybe a little too uh, obstinate thinking, well, we're invincible because everybody looks up to the IDF and the Israeli Defense Forces, and they're so good with their intelligence and counterintelligence. So it's almost like they were got caught resting on their laurels on this one. And again, for all of the Members that come into my range, uh, they talk about their friends and family in the kibbutz is that they were unarmed because it's so hard to get a gun in Israel and they were left defenseless to these paratroopers and people that climb the walls again. And uh, so, again, as tragic as it was, I hope it's an eye opener. If you're completely surrounded by enemies, maybe it's time to uh, prepare yourself and your family.
2: You no, we look at things, um, of course, in two ways. Um, we look at it from the lens of logistics and practicality. We also look at things from a divine perspective. And um, there's a concept that um, a person doesn't see something even if it's right in front of him, unless God opens your eyes. Not one, maybe two weeks before October 7th, there was a, a significant amount of literature put out. Uh, many by Zionist groups, but others, about 50 years since the Yom Kippur War and the lessons we learned. And many of those lessons were supposed to have been not to lessen on your laurels, not to take anything for granted, as Menachem Begin said, when you have an enemy, believe what he's going to tell you. So I'd like to ask Rabbi Tahan, what kind of spiritual messages have we gotten? And can you fit October 7th into some spiritual framework for us?
4: Well I'll tell you what the Hafez Chaim said. Khafitzheim was the uh, is considered one of the uh, biggest stages that we had in the last centuries. And um he said something interesting. The, the it in the Gemara in Sota says that um in the end of days, we believe that now is the end of days, um the, the generation would be uh, appearing as the face of a dog. And what does it mean? What's the comparison to a dog? So he says a dog is interesting that when you throw a stick at him, he goes and bites the stick instead of going after the person that threw the stick at him. He just goes and bites a stick. Bite. Um, and he says the generation does the same thing. When we see somebody doing something evil, we go after the person, not realizing that it's not him really doing it. It's uh, God on on above, and the reason he's doing it is because of our sin. So if we talk in just on, on spiritual level, we need to realize and open our eyes that it's 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 not. Those terrorists that do anything—they are just sent by our sins because of um, because of the way we behave, and we need to change the ways we behave. But when we put it in perspective of doing what we call a hichdatlu, to doing, trying to do something in this in this worldly in here to try to defend ourselves—I think this is the discussion of us today. Besides being being obligated to change our ways for the better we need also on the same level to make sure that we are uh doing everything in this world um as such as uh, as being armed being being trained um and and whatever it takes to make sure that we do the right thing and we don't we don't just let loose and just rely on 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 doing spiritually the right things
2: rabbi char are you still with us I'm with you. Uh, would you uh, how, what would you say to the statement that B'nai Yeshiva, those that are involved in learning, should, um, as best possible, avoid these types of activities, gun training? Or, or would you say that's up to the balabatam, those that are more in the worldly and workforce? Um, to engage in that and, and, and keep our army of Torah separate and apart from the from the worldly army which Rabbi Tahan spoke about or should the two be combined? What would you say to that?
3: Um so I just want to clarify your question before I weigh in Jonathan. Are you're not talking about are you talking about conscription of yeshiva students? Because that's as you know, that's a whole complicated question in and of itself.
2: No, we we don't have that much time. So no.
3: <laughs> hmm. um, no, I, I would say I think, it speaks, I think it speaks to the same tension that I was, I was addressing before. Um, on the one hand, yes, we'd love to live in a world where yeshiva bachim should be devoting their time, their focus, to L'Imurat Torah, and, and it would be great that they should not, you know, ha- have to head to the range or anything like that. I, I wouldn't make any meaningful distinctions between different classes of Jews or different categories. If there is a real threat and people feel that they are unsafe, and it doesn't matter whether you're a boy in yeshiva or, or anyone else. You know, the, the soldier, some of our greatest Torah scholars in history were were warriors, too. Look at the, the example that the Gemara gives from the army of David HaMelech, where you had you had Torah scholars who were also warriors. Um, I, I do think it's important for anybody who gets a firearm to make sure they have proper time for training so you can get into Bital Torah considerations and things like that. But I guess in terms of responding to your question directly, I do feel that if, if one feels that there is danger, and one feels that having a firearm is the way to respond to it. To me, it should not make a difference what class, what religious class, what, what, what kind of Jew you are. I think the, uh, the imperative to self-defense that Rabbi Tehan outlined before is, uh, is critical, even as we lament, even as we genuinely lament our inability to pursue the, uh, the peaceful um, existence that we, that we would ideally prefer and that we would ideally like.
2: Allow me to press Rabbi Tahan on an uncomfortable-type question. Um, there's a, uh, a, passage, uh, a verse in the Torah, And we see that, and he went out, Jacob went out and saw Lavan, and his face did not look the same as the day before. And the Or Yahu, which is Rav Yishor, uh, points out on that that um, the Jews have been in exile in multiple lands, And uh, there comes a time where one notices, and even Chaim David Zwibel, who is, of course, the executive vice president of the good of Israel, has pointed out that it perhaps is that the Gentile world in the United States and others is not looking at us in the same way. Should we be getting a message that perhaps the netzotios, those pearls of Kedusha, which we had to collect, have come to an end, and perhaps the golden age for Jews is no longer here in the United States?
4: well I, I I think that if it 's not here in the United states where then where would you find safety? I mean Jews always look for safety when you look at uh at the president you 'll see which one is the most pro israel or pro Jews just why so we can feel safe so where is it safe in the world? I mean today the threat is from the radical Muslims, and if that is the threat, it's all over the world. It's Israel as well. So I, I think we don't look at insights right now. We look, what are we supposed to do? And let me just uh, tell you, some, if I may, a couple of sources for, uh, for the question that was asked before, whether um, a a sage, a Torah scholar, should, uh, should uh, know how to defend himself and should be armed. So there's few places that we find, first of all, if you take a look at the Patriots, uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham uh, went to a war. He went to a war when Lot, his nephew, was kidnapped. So you see that when there's the kidnapped person, you go and fight a war to bring him back. Same thing, the Torah speaks about one lady that was uh, t- kidnapped. The, Mo, Moses took the the nation to a war to bring her back, and we see that this psukim in 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 Shira uh, Shirim that was written by Shlomo Amalek by Solomon. He says he named it the bed of Solomon. Shishim Giburim Savivla. Israel. he had sixty uh, uh, armed people they were, they were holding swords they knew how to fight wars they had swords with them the grass says that you should know that although they were, they were learning but they must have had also the ability to fight and defend themselves at wars there's many many sources like this that i can continue and uh, saying but i think the message is throughout the Torah and Nach as well. Uh, the that that uh, people that learn Torah. It's not a contradiction at the time of danger that they should know how to defend themselves.
2: The, the uh, um defeated the ancient Greeks, correct? And yet the um, the Alanism prayer, which we commemorate, speaks very little about the war. But there was a war. There was a war. Are we to assume that these were Russia Yeshiva types? Great sages that had no idea how to use weaponry and that were miraculously girded or they girded themselves, but with some degree of training and understanding how to use those weapons. How are we supposed to? What is the perspective we're supposed to have on military victory and military might? Okay, so there's the, this, this really... Um...
4: Uh, the the way the Gemara puts it down, it's in Baba um the seventh uh, page over there. The Gemara says that if you have a, a scholar, a Torah scholar, he doesn't need he's protected, he's divinely protected. Says the Gra, says the Although he's divinely protected, he doesn't mean that he doesn't need to take action. Al means you have to behave according to the nature. According to the nature, you must take. Precaution and do everything you can in your ability to protect yourself and do the right things, just like any other things that we do in the world. That we believe that it's everything is from above. God is controlling everything, but still we are obligated to make as much as we can to cover, so to speak, the divineless, the divine, the divinely uh, presence, and take action to show that we're doing things in this world. So it's the same is here. Um, Everything, everything that the Chashmonaim did was it, it, Rashi says there were the thirteen people fighting a war. Rashi, open, open Rashi in in, in, in the Chumash. He says the thirteen people from the Chashmonaim went to fight a, a Greek empire. How could that be? These are the people that we're talking about that that they were they were sages and they were very elevated and very godly. They were able to do it, but still they had to. If, if they were so godly, they could have stayed and learned and prayed. But you have to take a measure to try to do as much as you can in this world.
2: Beautiful. Okay, let's take a little breather. Mr. McMahon, you want to add anything to the halachic Jewish discussion? Or? I,
0: I actually, <laughs> I'm a little bit lost. <laughs> but I, I'm a lawyer and an Irish Catholic. I always got opinions. <laughs> and I, I think you and you both, pardon me for pointing. I just a bad habit I have. Um... But what you what you just said earlier was uh, uh, should they just have guns or should they be trained? And this is what I, my position is that if you're going to pick up a gun, you need training. And this is why they should be registered. You, you have, should have training courses and, and, and you know at different levels and and kind of a novel idea, at least in the United States, I think you should have insurance. Just like cars. Uh, And as to your point, Yelly, you know, cars don't kill people either. People driving cars kill people. People with guns kill people. And I'll leave it at that.
2: I I appreciate that very much. We're going to go back to the uh, the Jewish law perspective for a few minutes. I want to give you that. But I do want to ask something to Anthony along those lines. Help me understand something. I could buy a Ferrari, not know how to drive, but I can't drive it. Why should I be able to buy a handgun, an AR rifle, without a proficiency exam before that? So it doesn't make complete sense to me. There's a
1: couple of aspects. Number one, it's my God-given right to defend myself and own a firearm. Number two is to own a car is a privilege. In the U.S. Constitution, it's a right to own a gun. In the Bill of Rights, so we have—I have a right to own a gun. It's, I, I don't, shouldn't need to ask permission. If I'm a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen without domestic or violent crime background, I have a right to own a gun. So it's not a privilege. So that's the difference there.
2: But. But do you think the intent of the founding fathers was to be able to have a gun without the necessary training? In the years in 1791, where people were on the farm and on the homestead, they grew up with guns. And so guns was more part of the safety mechanism. You can't say that today. I, uh, I, but
1: I would say that in 1791, that was their intention, just like it is today. That you should be able to own a gun. You should not have to ask the permission. Uh, and again, we, you know, before we, did, we talked a little bit about the NRA. The NRA is the oldest civil rights organization in, in the United States, and to own a gun is a civil right. And, you know, it's a slippery slope. You require training, then what happens? You require a registration fee and then a renewal fee. And then one hour of training turns into 100 hours of training. Then we start excluding classes of people. Yali put his finger up. Go ahead, Yali. I yield my time to you. Uh,
5: First of all, I want to echo everything that you just said, but um, I want to uh, elaborate and uh, and add to that. Um, Guns are used between once to one and a half to twice uh every year that they're used to commit a crime they're used to deter or prevent a crime and it depends on how you want to pick apart the fbi's own statistics guns are used by some measures more than twice as often as they're used to commit a crime they're used to 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 deter or to prevent a crime so the in terms of the, the 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 weaponry itself I think that that's, that's very much a fluid concept, and that's been in flux for, 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 for all of recorded history. I think that there's no, like Anthony said, there's no way to, to legislate evil out of existence, and I think the best that we can do is give the law-abiding a fighting chance. Mm-hmm. And, my, and, and, and my kids, I would just add, in terms of the, 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 the right to own a gun, uh, every one of my kids has been coming to the range, to this range actually, uh, since they were nine. Um, they grew up around guns in a very uh, supervised instructional environment. My kids are all very, very comfortable handling guns safely and proficiently um, because I think that as a right, that brings with it certain responsibilities.
2: I'd like to say um, uh, those are all f- excellent points, and now um, we, w- I want to address before the end of the cast um, some of the matters regarding Jewish law and guns. We've spoken a lot about the perspective and the attitude. Let me just rapid fire to Rabbi Tahan some of the issues. Is a gun muksa, which means is a gun something that you should be able to carry on the Sabbath or not? Is it considered a ornament or not? Should women have guns? Now, I can tell you, Anthony, you see, he's he's seen a lot of dates at the gun range from the Jewish kids. They come, and I've seen, you know, on Saturday nights, a lot of couples is that something you would we would promote, or how, how do we view that um, from a, from a perspective of a shkafa as well as halacha?
4: Right. So the over the the, the, the underlying is everything goes under the halacha that says Haba shkem It's a gemara in Sanedrin uh, sixty two, uh, which means a person that comes to kill you, you have the obligation even to kill him first. So that's 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 the Torah's view and law of what you have to do and that gives you now a perspective on everything that you ask. Can a woman own a gun? So normally we hold that a woman should not uh, have the same uh, uh, clothing as men. Men should not have clothing of women. So there is a a certain perspective that uh, a gun is more for men because he goes to fight wars, he's more uh, the person that usually uses such things. Still in a place that there's danger, the poskim, those uh, to- Torah um, uh, uh, law uh, um, scholars, they say that a woman must must defend herself. If she needs a gun, she is permitted. Actually, lately, uh, they saw that uh, the wife of Itamar ben which is very famous in uh, Israel, had a gun, and there was a lot of discussion: you know, How could a woman wear it? She's religious. And that is the halacha, that is the law that was uh, spoken out. How about on Shabbos? Shabbos, can a person walk with a gun on Shabbos? Normally, you know, in Jewish law, you're not allowed to walk outside your house with anything, carrying anything. You're not allowed to take your keys, you're not allowed to take uh, uh, a, a prayer book to the synagogue unless there is what we call a eruv, a certain uh, things that they fix around uh, the place. Um, so over here also, the halacha speaks about this, and there are paiskim, like auch shulchan that holds that it is permitted, that it is considered part of the clothing as well. Wearing a gun is part of the clothing as well. So in the place that there there's a need um, and there's dangers, uh, in place of danger, the paiskim of today's generation, today's time said that they should take a gun. Uh, and and so to speak, it would be a violation of of the, of the Sabbath. Still, it is permitted to do so uh, for a, a uh, safety. And secondly, right safety comes before everything. It pushes off. Uh, Sabbath as well, that we call that pikuach nefesh. Secondly, the fact that there are those that say that when you wear them, it's part of your clothing, part of the clothing, then you are per- permitted to walk with it.
2: How broadly do you want to find uh, just for uh, for all of the listeners that are not aware, pikuach nefesh means the saving of a life. How far can we define the saving of a life? If there's a day of rage, if, if there's a uh, unsubstantiated threat, does that mean we should all come to synagogue with our carries? So,
4: uh, normally, the, the the rule is, if there is a doubt, there's no doubt. Which means, if if there's a doubt of pikuach nefes, a danger, dangerous situation, you doubt for whether it's dangerous, take this very seriously. After October 7th, I myself, on that very first uh, uh, Sabbath, I stayed home with my kids. I didn't send my kid for a couple of days to the school, to the yeshiva. People thought I'm crazy. There's a doubt. Uh, the yeshiva over there didn't have a uh, guard. I felt that it's unsafe. Who knows what they're going to do the next couple of days. So how far do you take it? It's a big discussion. I can speak about this for a whole hour. We don't have that, but next one, that's next time, next time, next
2: yes. time. Yes, there will be a next time, yes. Gentlemen, this has been epic, as Anthony did predict. I want to give uh, anyone here the chance to freely engage their uh, colleague. Is there something anyone at the table would like to cover that has not been covered, a statement that's not been said? Anthony, you told me a couple of funny things about the Hasidim when they come and buy guns Oh, well, they ask
1: that. a lot. They, they want to just—they don't realize they have to go through a background check and paperwork. They just—we had people walking in post October seventh. Hi, I want to buy ten machine guns and I to <laughs> ship them to my sister in Israel. Uh, and then, you know, I want to buy a gun using the gun show loophole, which doesn't exist. Because what what people don't understand, and Rich, the counselor over there as well, is in New Jersey, you have to go through a background check, references, fingerprints. Worse than if you were pulled over, obviously, but a full check, mental health check, references. And then when you go to pick up your gun, you get a second background check. And every time you go to buy an individual pistol, you go through the same process three times as well. So it is, it's is—it's pretty controlled um, in this state. And uh, But we've seen an explosion of people. And for anybody uh, listening, uh, if you know someone that is shooting, in, ask them to help you and introduce you to it because you need to learn the right way and the proper way. And safety, safety, safety. I built my business on safety and education. And the NRA has two silos. One is obviously the one that everybody focuses on because they lobby. But the other one is education and training. And we are the leaders in education and training and preventing child deaths and other tragedies. So please... Wherever you live, if you're going to get a gun, get training. Enlist friends and family that already shoot and then go to an organization like the NRA or other organizations and take classes and learn. And if you're going to spend thousands of dollars buying guns and accessories, you buy gun safes for as little as 4 T dollars four zero, where you can keep your gun locked up. There is no excuse. That's G- what I'd
2: like to Gentlemen, ask. I want to thank everyone here, and our sages tell us that there is no uh, length to the amount of thanks we're supposed to give. So let me thank Rabbi Schreier uh, from uh, calling in. I know it was logistically difficult. Thank you so much for heading for the discussion. Rabbi Tahan, who traveled a good distance to be here from Brooklyn. Uh, of course, Yali Elkin, Superman Elkin, he's also one of the. Um, um, uh, orchestrators of the morning service, so hopefully he'll give me, he'll let me go back to the Torah a couple times now. <laughs> Mr. McMahon for 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 your for your input and balance, of course, Mr. Calandro and the entire Gun for Hire organization. Uh, and this is not a paid remark in any way, but I've been into the range five times, and the degree of professionalism and welcoming. Uh, and and comfort that is is really demonstrated here is 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 really uh, par excellence so we want to thank you for that we want to thank God in heaven for bringing us to this day and uh, may we come together on in good health on good occasion and of course god bless America yes I'd also like to thank everybody for being here and just let you know that the doc never used
1: the giant forceps on me so <laughs> everybody please go forth and be safe and uh, please stick together and it's a dangerous world out there keep your head on a
2: swivel till next you. time thank you very much for gun for hire as well as front podcast be well thank you thank you
3: thanks everyone thank you you